one of the Old Testament minor prophets. We're going to be reading in uh, chapter 11, 1 through 11, Hosea. Many of us in our lives have known the excruciating pain of having someone reject us. When someone we love deeply leaves us because they don't want to be with us anymore, it leaves a gaping wound. And sometimes it's not just the rejection of us personally, but also an abdication of the life that we had together. When someone we love finds someone else to take our place, or they engage in a high-risk lifestyle that leads to addiction, or they engage in patterns that lead nowhere, or they simply just leave for no reason except to move on, it can be devastating for us. So we mourn for them, and we hope for them, and we get angry with them. We make unhealthy allowances for them. We wish for reconciliation or a future that often they do not wish for themselves. People go their own way and are pleading and threatening and placating and arguing are rarely enough to change them or their mind. This pain of rejection is completely understood by God. It is something that he faced in the garden, and it is something that he knows well, being in relationship with us, both corporately and individually. God knows what it means to be rejected and to have those he loves abandon all ties with him. There are times that he expresses this pain, and we see the various ways that he attempts to reconcile with his people in scripture. The Bible is the story of God's Relationship with the humanity that strays with him, both in small and large ways. And in this, we learn much about God's character and purpose, not just for us, but for the entire world. And what we see is that God's love relentlessly follows us wherever we go, whatever we do, however we leave him. It never lets go no matter where we find ourselves or the choices that we make. Today we're going to study some of the most tender words found in the written story of God. They are words of poetry where God expresses his inner thoughts about Israel and their relationship to him from the prophet Hosea, whom God has called to serve in difficult ways. But Hosea is not the main character here, and neither is Israel. God is the subject in this narrative, And if you read the whole thing, it's wrenching. And it's wrenching because it rings true in our lives and in our world. And we know that our world is out of control for lack of having a true connection with the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The Lord is not a distant figure without feelings. He loves those who are far from him because he recognizes that even in our rejection of him, we need him the most. 
So let us read together Hosea 1, Hosea 11. There's too many ones in this, people. Hosea 11, 1 through 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I had healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. They shall return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword rages in their cities. It consumes their oracle priests and devours because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning away from me. To the Most High they call, but he does not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. Let's pray. God, we thank you for how you show us your heart and your mind, how we show us your purposes and the plans that you have for us. Today, God, may your Holy Spirit speak deeply to us because we are your children and we thank you. Amen. The prophet Hosea lived during the 8th century BC. He is probably the first of the minor prophets written, and he served at the same time as Amos. He is the only prophet writer from the northern kingdom, so his words are directed to them. The term minor prophets, of course, refers to the length of the book, not the importance of the writing. Hosea was asked to do more than just speak to the Israelites. He was told by God to marry a prostitute, a woman who would not be faithful to him. The purpose of this was to send a message to God's people that in their actions, they were also committing great harlotry by forsaking him. This was actually a time of great prosperity for Israel, but their abundance didn't make them thankful, nor did it make them obedient. Instead, they relied on their wealth, and the promise of their neighbors, the Canaanites, that their god Baal would help them to thrive. So they turned from God and did what they pleased. The words of Hosea, overall as a book, are some of the most difficult to comprehend in the Bible, even for scholars. Like most of the books in the Old Testament, this was first given an exhortation and then transmitted orally to the people. The first three chapters of the book describe the history of Hosea's marriage to Gomer and the children they had together. 
The remaining 11 chapters give the case against Israel, where Hosea outlines the many ways in which they have broken their covenant agreement with God. And near the end of these kind of harsh words, we find this highly descriptive section that we just read straight from the heart of Yahweh. Words that we can actually understand. The message here in Hosea is simple. No matter what we do, God relentlessly loves his people. So let's see from this chapter what that looks like. In his love, God nurtures us and draws us close. In the first four verses, God is remembering the hope and the promise of his relationship with Israel in the beginning of their life together. There's wonderful imagery here of great care. How God taught them to stand on their own. How he healed them and led them, gently nuzzled them and fed them. We know that the first few years of a child's life are the most important. We know that when an infant is well taken care of, there is huge stability and trust built into their very being. Here God is telling how he cared for Israel as a young nation so that they might grow to be a mighty place, complete, stable, trusting in his care over them. Chosen to represent him to the rest of the world, saved out of oppressive slavery in Egypt, he created a close bond with Israel because they were supposed to lead the way when they grew up and had a land of their own. Ephraim is another name for northern Israel. And God was their primary caregiver before they even knew that it was him. This is often the case. Theologically, we call it prevenient grace. The grace that goes before us before we know we need it. The grace that carries us when we know later on that people were praying for us. The grace that helps us to be protected and survive even against everything opposing us. Here, it is the grace to make Israel a nation, which the Lord has done. Not because Israel is an exceptional people on their own, but because of his graciousness and allowing them to belong to him. Adopting them in as sons and daughters. It is the Lord's presence that makes Israel special. God always goes before us. He has always protected and nurtured you even when you weren't always aware that it was happening we understand this truth as parents as teachers as mentors and coaches we often give our lives to help young people in the same way that someone has done for us that god has done for us and if we're in their lives from the beginning for sure they don't remember how we nurtured them how much we sacrificed, how much we gave. They don't understand our efforts. Mostly, they might not even remember until they're a bit older how much we did. We do it not because we want them to recognize us, but because we want to help them grow. Because we know that the things that they will grow and be are valuable, and we know it's not about us. God is lamenting here. Not because of lack of recognition, but partially because Baal is getting the credit. The people are sacrificing to false gods instead of worshiping him. 
who helped them come into existence. So he keeps trying to pursue them. He keeps trying to help and provide for them. And they keep going away from him. And I think that we read great sadness here. And he's sorry, not for himself, but for them. Because they could be so much more than they are being. They could be in such closer proximity to him. Because they're giving their best to something that isn't not real. Something that they can't get back from. A black hole of nothingness. And it's ripping away their purity and their identity and belonging to him. It seems to me that God's people aren't very grateful here. And really we see strains here of the prodigal son. The younger son goes off on his own, taking all he can with him, leaving a grieving father and a raging brother. But God's love stays constant. We see it in the language used here in the sadness of their distance from him. Of course he knew that they would do this. Of course he knows that all of us will do that. But it still hurts. It hurts him. The sin of whole people, groups, and nation forsaking truth offered in love given hurt him. But his love continues. In his love, we see that God allows consequences for sin. In verse 5, you'll see that the tone changes dramatically. And the tense switch switches from the past now to the present. What we see here is how much God hates idolatry. Hosea is, li- is used as a living example of what it's like to marry someone. Who has forsaken them. Who has forsaken their vow of a lifetime promise to stay together. The last ten chapters in Hosea have been about how awful choosing another over God really is. Hosea's message is that one of Israel's greatest sins is that they love someone more than God. That they did not respond to God's kindness and generosity. In the Jewish tradition, there are two relationships that are sacred and absolutely exclusive. Marriage and covenant to Yahweh. They've been given numerous chances to love, but they keep turning to their neighbors and to other people for protection and comfort. But their neighbors aren't interested in them. Their neighbors aren't interested in helping them grow. Their neighbors are interested in overpowering them. While this was a prosperous time, it was also very chaotic and bloody. Hosea prophesied in the desperate last generation of the northern kingdom. Six kings reigned in 25 years. Four were murdered by their successors while being in power. One was captured alive, and only one ascended to the throne naturally. They had been told that Assyria was going to dominate them here and in other places. But of course the problem isn't just the leaders. The people have committed sins against God. We see that still today. All of us, whole nations, don't truly seek God. Don't recognize his hand at work. The priests had given up. Nothing we can do. There isn't much holiness. So they made a decision to flee from God. And now they're under subjection to others who don't care if they lived or died. And God is saying, well, there's no more protection. Because of their refusal to repent, they return to a state they were saved from. And God is saying, they're going to go back to Egypt, except now it's not just going to be Egypt. 
It's not just going to be simple slavery. Now it's going to be that your whole nation is going to be devoured. You're going to become like Adma and Zeboim, which were next to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's too late. There's nothing that God is willing to do from these verses. When they call on him, he won't answer because the time is too late. It's hard to see this as love. But God can't save those who don't ask for help. How do you help someone who refuses to be helped? What do you do? How can we override someone who absolutely will not choose life? Who absolutely will not make great choices? In their rejection, they have chosen their course, God says, and he will not step in to change it. In his love, though, we see true compassion. In verses 8 and 9, God allows us to see his process. He is so mad. (laughs) And in his anger, he wants Israel to be wiped off the map. Just like Admon Zeboim. And yet in verses 8 and 9, we see that his mind is changed. The Hebrew here literally means overturned. His mind was overturned. He's agonizing because they belong to him. But it seems like he realizes that he too has made a vow. And he is not going to stoop to the level of humanity. Because his character won't allow it. Northern Israel did indeed suffer the consequences for their behavior. And Assyria did indeed take them over. They did indeed lose their capital and they were dispersed. But Israel survived to see another day. Because God's love for his people is greater than his hatred of their sin. God hates it when you and I sin. But God loves you more than his hatred of your sin. It is his compassion that gives them another chance. And he indicates in verse 9 that we as humanity would be more punishing than he is. Think about that for a minute. Because I think that it might well be true. Because as fearful, controlling humans, we don't always do a very good job meeting out justice. Because of our biases, we are often vindictive. And sometimes we give extra punishment than is necessary. Sometimes for no reason at all, except that we hate the person who's in front of us and we have the power. We judge harshly and extract more than the crime demands because we can be cruel. When we take power too seriously, there are disastrous consequences for entire nations and oppressed people groups and those who have no bargaining chip, no power in life. Here we see grace after true justice has occurred. The Israelites have been punished naturally by Assyria, but they've been saved from annihilation by God. Because of his love, he offers mercy and saves those who don't deserve it. In his love, he always accepts those who make their way home. The last two verses show what will happen in the future with Israel. It's kind of an interesting image if you read it. One day, 
they will come back like wounded birds, flitting back and forth between two bullies who have treated them with disdain. One day when the Lord calls them home with a roar, they will recognize his voice and come back in humility and take what is offered to them. Perhaps they thought that their life was over, that they had reached the end of what was possible. They were a people without promise, wondering where God was and hoping for another opportunity to be home. But in these words, you see that there is great healing. They get to come back and God will settle them in their land once again. Wounds will be worked through and repentance for the nation will be restored. Hosea knew this scenario well because in his life, to everyone around them, Gomer was worthless and broken as a spouse. Just like Israel had seemingly become to God. And in the end, Gomer was valuable only to her husband because of his love for her. He remained faithful when she was in awful places he couldn't even think about. God remained faithful to Israel as he does for all of those with whom he makes a covenant. No matter where we've been, we are priceless and beloved to God. He will always welcome his prodigal sons and daughters home with joy and great revelry. As we sit here today, I think that there are lots of things for us to think about from this passage. Because we who have felt the sting of rejection in our lives know in our hearts that we are not simply the victims of other people. We too have been the betrayers. We too have been the ones who have left for our own selfish gain. Each of us have strayed from God's love and obedience. Each one of us have been vindictive and cruel. Each one of us have fallen short of God's love and his glory. But there is redemption through Jesus and in his hope for reconciliation because he longs for all of us to be close to him always. He came in the flesh so that we might always have a way to return home to him. The message of the Bible doesn't change. It is the communication of God's relentless love for you and for me. Sometimes we turn away in shame and repudiate and find other sources of worship and pleasure. Sometimes we turn away in bitterness for those who have sinned against us, not wanting to forgive. And then those who speak for the Lord, like Hosea, remind us of who God is. Hosea reminds us that God chases us no matter where we go. Hosea reminds us that there is constant goodness and mercy and holiness all around us, no matter how dire the straits we are in and no matter how much the world may seem out of control. This morning, my prayer for you is that you would find a true reminder of God's love in these words to you and that love might be made complete in you. Let us pray.